Hey, welcome to episode 59 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Steven Stiles. And as it's well into the summer, we've got lots of things to continue to talk about, such as prospects, which will be the highlight of this show. I want to begin with an absolutely overused term of star power. And I wasn't really planning on talking about this initially, but it becomes something that has become relatively obsessive when describing organizations organization's talents and do they have any star power do they just have good players do they just have average players the real question is what is the definition of star power And I can only imagine if there were phone lines available, this would probably be one of the most interesting topics ever discussed and could be anything from really pleasant to probably getting extremely ugly relatively quickly because everybody seems to have their own definition. Everybody seems to be extraordinarily judgmental on players before they ever even realize what that player is actually going to do or be able to become. If you take the term star power in its face value without any interpretation is a player who every time steps on the playing surface of their sport single-handedly changes that game and elevates the skill sets of anyone else that's lined up with them or that's on the playing field, surface, ice, at that time. And those other players wouldn't be able to play to that level without that player's abilities and skill set. Who are those such players in the world of hockey? Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux certainly come to mind and define the term in every way possible. A lot of people right now would say Connor McDavid is the best player in the world. Certainly by that definition, you would say he joins the list of players who are quote-unquote star power. Yes, he's one of the best skaters in the history of the game. Yes, he's probably the best skater in the world right now. Has amazing vision, stick puck skills, anticipation, ability to know where his line mates are, to be able to predict with a pass how he's going to lead a line mate. Is that star power? I don't know. I'm asking questions here because a lot of people are like, oh my God, how can you say Connor McDavid isn't a star? I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm saying with the variance of the definition or what people believe in that term means, there's a lot of gray area. A lot of gray area. There's no question every time Wayne Gretzky stepped on the ice, Mario Lemieux stepped on the ice, everybody around them, everybody on the ice was better. Unquestionably, they could single-handedly lift a game without exception. Mario Lemieux in particular played through back injuries and terminal diagnoses and things such as that, and you almost couldn't even tell, which given the medical treatment that things like that require is ridiculous in ability, to say the least. They are just the class of, if not the modern era, some would argue the game ever in itself. But here's one of the most common variations and measuring criterias that everybody's like, well, if you're a star, you've won the Stanley Cup or you've won multiple cups. Is that legitimate criteria to measure star power? Some people would say it's an absolute necessity. So if that's the case, we're back to Connor McDavid for a second. Does he belong in that conversation of star power? I mean, he's certainly a star player in the league. You can't argue that. But he hasn't won a cup. Will he win a cup? Nobody knows unless you're able to predict the future. Based on that, and here's a couple other players people would say, oh my God, you're just like coming out with random things. Sidney Crosby and Patrick Kane. There is no question, individually amazing players. Do they possess... Or have they possessed the same ability as Gretzky and Lemieux to elevate everyone else's game, everyone else on their line, 
to those levels? Or does their present have an individual greatness on the ice? In the case of Sidney Crosby and Patrick Kane, obviously the argument of Stanley Cup champions goes away as they've both won multiple cups. Again, I'm not passing judgment on these people. I'm asking, I guess, for clarity on a topic that seems to be a massive issue as to, well, this organization has good prospects and good depth in the case of the Montreal Canadiens, but there's really no star power. I really question that. And I really question because with the Stanley Cup in particular, whether a player wins it or not, is that not beyond an individual's ability? Isn't this a team sport? Doesn't timing, chemistry, combinations of lines, all of that, skill sets that offset one another or enhance another player's skill sets, doesn't that all play a factor? Isn't that all beyond personal capability? I mean, you could be an individual great player, but if you've got nobody else to play with, no offsetting skills, nobody that complements your game, can you control things like that? Not really. And now here's the perfect example of that. The fifth player chosen overall in the 1990 NHL entry draft. From day one, virtual teammate of Mario Lemieux, left-wing Yalimer Yager. Now, there's no question Yager was a fantastic player. Still playing today internationally. Would he have racked up the career numbers that he did playing along someone else? Or on another team? It's very possible that he would have. I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller. Obviously, nobody is. But would Yager have amassed the career statistics that he did had he not played with Mario Lemieux. Argumentatively, he was a physical specimen. Argumentatively, one of the not only greatest players in league history, one of the best players, some people would argue the best left wing, period. Again, subjective opinion, okay, by other people. Player that we also haven't talked about, which certainly should be mentioned with Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky, what about Marc Messier? I mean, Marc Messier not only won five Stanley Cups with the Edmonton Oilers, single-handedly carried the New York Rangers, willing them to a Stanley Cup carrying that team on his back. And if that wasn't enough with six Stanley Cups and winning the one in New York that way, how about along the way he picks up two Conn Smythe trophies, a Hart trophy, two-time winner of the Lester B. Pearson trophy, now named the Ted Lindsay Award. It keeps going, by the way. He was actually nominated for and won the NHL Leadership Trophy, which ironically is now named after him in 1989, 90, and 91, and 92. I mean, certainly that's a career decorated to a point beyond question. I mean, I don't know as a player how many more trophies and championships you could win. Phenomenal career statistics that you could have. If that's not enough to put you over the top and be considered, quote unquote, a star game legend, one of the best ever, maybe that term doesn't have a definition after all at all. Other players, one would think Paul Coffey belongs on the list. I mean, let's be honest. He put up offensive numbers that lit up a league from a defensive player's perspective not seen since Bobby Orr. Was he that good individually? Certainly everybody says he's one of the most gifted, fluid skaters ever to play the game. But was he influenced by that star-studded roster? Many of the players which we've only talked about, Gretzky and now Coffey, but there was Yari Curry, Mark Messier, Glenn Anderson. It just kept going. Was he a byproduct of all that other talent around him? Or was he truly that individual star? Certainly an argument that he was that individual star. He had an amazing career. 
hard not to put him in a conversation with the best to ever play his position. Another player that recently retired that never won a Stanley Cup, Joe Thornton. Certainly his statistics validate you would consider him a star player, but he never won a Stanley Cup. So is that the ultimate measuring content that if you don't win a Stanley Cup, no matter what you achieved, you're not a star? There's people that argue that point perspective as well. So this is a really interesting term that has a lot of obsession to it. It is so subjective as to what somebody believes is included within that and has to be part of it. It's completely subjective bias towards a player or a team. It's just a very non-objective term, yet it seems to be criteria to measure players against or, well, you know, they're good, but they're not that level. Really? That just seems really like a near impossibility, which sets up people for failure or sets up people for being described as, thought as, predicted inaccurately. And the reason I'm posing all this is a very valid reason, because if you take everyone's opinion collectively and suddenly determine that's the definition of the term star power, then I guess of the modern era, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Mark Messier are the three hockey players that would fit that, as well as Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson of the NBA, Tom Brady of the NFL. Certainly in previous generations, Henri Richard, 11 Stanley Cups, Jean Beliveau and Yvonne Cornoyer, 10 Stanley Cups, Claude Provost, 9 Stanley Cups, Maurice Richard, Red Kelly, Jacques Lemaire, Serge Savard, all won 8 Stanley Cups. I mean, if truly the number of the Stanley Cups you're winning or have won is the determining factor, then those players I just mentioned stand alone. Obviously, they've won more championships in their pro sport than anyone else. I mean, literally, the three true stars then would have to be Henri Richard with 11 in the NHL, Bill Russell, 11 NBA championships, Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl championships, 10 Super Bowl appearances. I mean, if that's your pure criteria measurement, then they stand alone. But it seems to leave an awful lot of people out of the discussion then, such as the Coffees, Yagers, Thorntons, McDavid's. That's a lot of star talent left out of a discussion. Just because those players that I mentioned specifically with the most also happen to play on extraordinarily talent-laden teams who at the times of their championships, also a very forgotten part of this, happen to have the best coaches in their sports and argumentatively in the history of their sports. So there's a lot of components to this and everybody just looks like, well, you know, there's really not that much to look forward to in Montreal because they don't have any true stars. I argue that tremendously and at multiple perspectives. So with that said, let's take a look at what so many people are going, well, you know, Montreal's got a lot of depth. They got a lot of good prospects. But star power, Uh, I'm not sure. I'm thinking probably not. Let's take a look at what they have. Nick Suzuki honestly had his best year this year. And let's be honest about Nick Suzuki for a second. Before anybody comes down on him too hard, he was the only player last year to play all 82 games. The team has been decimate by injuries which you're like all right well every team has injuries yeah but let's not forget that injuries in addition to making players unavailable to play also affects 
line mates in chemistry. He was still able to come up with his best year statistically this year. I believe that Nick Suzuki has 96 point consistently, if not 100 point per season talent. But like any player, the exceptions in the modern game, of course, is Tom Brady elevated everybody else on his team. Wayne Gretzky elevated everybody else on his team. Mario Lemieux and Marc Messier elevated everybody else on their teams. Okay. But if he has a full season and can have a career that it can include a Cole Caulfield, 82 games a year, who, by the way, is a legit since the first time since Stefan Riche did it, who was the most recent 50-goal scorer, he can be a consistent 50-goal scorer, 100-point player in Montreal. The newly acquired Alex Newhook, I believe, is going to find his way very quickly to the right-wing spot of that line. And I think the three of them are going to have tremendous chemistry, at least of equal value, as everybody's like, well, you know, Kirby Dock looked awful good on right wing. Maybe he should be their right winger instead of a center. Kirby Dock was gotten to be the number two center on that team behind Nick Suzuki, period. It would be the latest catastrophic mistake that organization has made at center. If somebody goes, oh, well, you know, he looks really good and he plays exceptionally well with Caulfield and Suzuki, he's a center. Newhook, on the other hand, can play all three positions. Yes, Doc can also do that, but Doc is a natural center. He's a six foot four, two hundred pound plus with a really long reach center that Montreal, this is how far you have to go back to find that center, tried to draft that exact concept in 1980 with Doug Wickenheiser, which we've beaten that topic to death. But that's how long they've been without that. You have one. Why would you risk that finally? Other players that have legitimate star power. Everybody has heard from Montreal's newly designed and established player development staff that Sean Farrell is a special player. Owen Beck, from the time he was drafted, has looked like a special player. Philip Massar has been the line mate of Yuri Slavkowski, who both have the ability to be star players. And again, this gets back to what's your definition of star player? Does a star player only have that definition or title if they're a 50-goal scorer, if they're a 100-point player? Are they a point-per-game player? That's what I mean by criteria variance. Everybody's got their own definition of what that means. But all these players that I just mentioned are going to be the best prospects and players on the Canadians that anybody has seen since the 70s as a collective group. Now, of course, in 86 and 93, you had 10 rookies come up, all gelled together. You had veterans like Carboneau, Damfus, Muller, many others that brought the experience. Yeah, those were special teams. But I'm talking about a group coming up, coming together, gelling at the same time, every one of which was either acquired within or drafted in the last 36 months, roughly. That's a pretty special group of talent. That is an amazing group of talent. And I think this team put together or that's being put together by the current administration, who I, again, have said several times, I also think is one of, if not a top three minimum, best management team in the league, has the ability to put something special together that could actually create not only a Stanley Cup winner, might even finally be a Montreal fantasy or dream to return to a continuous cup-winning, talent-laden team. And Montreal hasn't seen that for a long time. What if this group could be back-to-back, three-time, five-time-in-a-decade dynasty team? Is that what it's going to take for people to finally go, oh, well, this group has star power. 
So much of it is uncontrollable. What's the injury situation? What's the availability? What place is available for you on the team? What are you willing to do to fit in, to maximize and have tremendous success? Are you a team first player? Are you more concerned about yourself individually? I mean, and those are none of those are to be picked at or singled out. They're all different personality traits. It all makes a difference and directly affects performance on the ice and for the length of one's career. And it keeps going. Talk about Frank Silk Trophy candidates that Montreal hasn't had a legitimate one of since the Bob Gainies and Guy Carbonos, largely because Patrice Bergeron in Boston has been so incredibly dominating. Not only do you have more offensive talent coming in Emil Heinemann, but Emil Heinemann, the, uh, the already mentioned Owen Beck, And here's a prospect that I think is being overlooked, and Montreal has made an impact in later rounds like few teams have. There is an overage player that they drafted by the name of Jared Davidson, who plays for the Seattle Thunderbirds of the Western Hockey League. He has put together back-to-back seasons, has been moved up and down the ice, and has been the legitimate, cohesive element to that team on a very talented team. What about those three as Frank Silk Trophy winners? And I might have a fair amount of support from people that say, oh yeah, well, Emil Heinemann or Owen Beck, but Jared Davidson? Yeah. I mean, another fifth round pick that people kind of fell in love with, kind of turned into a heart-soul player of the team. What was that guy's name? Brendan Gallagher. Yeah. He was a fifth round pick too. 147th overall in the 2010 NHL entry draft. I'd say fifth round draft picks can turn into something special. You got another one unfolding, and I'm not going to mention this player for the recipient of any kind of trophy. Another player that everybody's excited about and wondering, so what really is his top limit? What is his capability? Where will he peak out at, if you will? Raphael Harvey Pernard, 201st pick overall in his draft in the seventh round. So a lot of people wanting to, well, you know, if you're not a first or second pick, I mean... Even a second pick, there's only less than a 50-50 chance of you ever making the NHL. I disagree. Opportunity and desire changes everything. And we haven't even talked about the defensive side of the game. So much earlier in this conversation, we were talking about how Paul Coffey lit it up offensively like no defenseman had since Bobby Orr. And I'm not saying this person is going to be like either one of these, but he's a legitimate discussion in this conversation. What about Lane Hudson? What about Lane Hudson as a future Norris Trophy winner? And another player that a lot of people had lots of things to say when in his draft year, when he got picked 31st overall by the Canadians, Logan Mylou. 6'3", 215-plus, he could be a 30-goal-plus scorer in the NHL as a defenseman. He could challenge numbers like 85 to 90 points a year, which is the last time that happened was Larry Robinson. I'm not saying he's going to be Larry Robinson, but I'm saying there's talent there. All it takes is for somebody to bring it together, to put him in a position to win, to put him in a position to excel and exceed and become elite in his position. The glue factor to all these conversations, and there's still a lot of other players we're going to talk about, is Martin St. Louis. That is the right coach at the right time who is a Stanley Cup champion in the modern era who sees the game very, 
very differently than a lot of players do. He still sees the game as a coach, as a player. He's envisioning where these people are going to be, who they're going to line up with, where they're going to excel, what combinations are going to work, because he's still seeing himself as a line mate of someone like a Vincent LeCavalier, and he's envisioning that when he's coaching these players now. And that is invaluable and is honestly the difference maker for every one of these players. Because if you look at any other coach and you can even look at the legendary Scotty Bowman, as much as I love him and think he's the best coach bar none, he wasn't particularly fond of a lot of young players on his team. He didn't want it too but it was more a veteran-laden team. He was very much a, you have to go through the process, you have to go prove yourself, and maybe you were like 25 to 27 before you got a chance to play on his teams, okay? So not even he gave the opportunity that St. Louis is giving these young players. And that is truly the difference with all the ability and how many of these players could and may turn out to be star players and have star power. He is honestly the difference maker in every one of these players' careers right now. He will set them up for careers beyond expectation that they wouldn't have had without him. And by the way, we're not done defensively yet. Don't forget about two other players as potential Norris Trophy candidates. And I know one of them is going to go, hey, you left him out. I didn't leave out Caden Gooley. I just didn't talk about him yet. He has the perfect tool set, demeanor, leadership qualities, you name it. He has it all. And a player that people are starting to hear more and more about, who apparently slipped through in his draft all the way to the 92nd pick, where the Canadians chose him, is Adam Ingstrom. Is a very gifted scorer, very good defensively, can skate with the best of the opposite team, shut them down. So again, there's four players defensively that could have star power, trophy winning candidates, very, very impressive careers. In other news, what is with the ridiculous obsession to continue to acquire players, whether it be because of where they're from, they got drafted in a particular year when everybody thought Montreal should have selected that player, whatever the odd and ridiculous reason is. But there are now people that want to sign Alexei Lafreniere to an offer sheet. Are you kidding me? Why? What is happening or what's happened in Alexei Lafreniere's career that everybody's like, oh my God, we got to go out and get this guy. We got to sign him to an offer sheet. And the best part is even beyond that, there are people that if we can't get him on an offer sheet, we should trade away players for him. Why? He hasn't done anything. Alexei Lafreniere is a perfect example of not being on the right team with the right coach at the right time. If for some reason he would have been drafted by the Canadians and now at his current age, where he's in his development, he's still very young, and he had Martin St. Louis, yeah, he could probably turn into something pretty special. That being said, there is no room. Montreal already has 16 forwards heading into training camp. There's no room for him. Not only that, but Montreal, I think, already has a very clear idea of who is the long-term and who are the next-to-be-gone players. And all the prospects 
coming up. Where are you going to put them? I can only imagine if all these players that everybody wants to acquire an offer sheet and everything else, riddle this back to me as far as how agitated people would be. Let's take a moment and just hazard a guess on how upset people would be if Montreal has acquired all these people, has so many people they can no longer keep, because not only does the league have a maximum amount of contracts you can hold on to, but you don't get player rights forever. They expire. And some of these players who I think are going to be really, really special, all of which I think are important for the future of the Canadians, from anything from role players to depth players to the star players on the team, what would be the reaction if some of those just walked away for nothing? So do we really need the Hubido, Lafreniere, Dubois, all these other players, Keandre Miller? Why? You've got more prospects to fight for positions than you have positions available. At some point, you're not going to have any more room for players and prospects. And what's really scary, to be quite honest about that, it's not like the NHL is going to stop having NHL entry drafts. Now, I suppose the good news you could look at is you can be so subjective and so specific as to what you're looking for and what you keep, but still, there is the high potential for a Canadian's prospect to turn into a star player, main player, franchise player somewhere else on another team. And if that happens, there will be vultures waiting to dine on Canadian management for going, oh my God, I can't believe they let this guy go. How could they do that? What if you have that much talent? They really have that at the moment. And some people would say that's a good problem to have, but it's also extremely stressful in the selection of who do you keep? Will you make that right choice every time? Think about when the Canadians, and I'll give you an individual case-by-case example of that that's going to go back in history a little bit. When everybody said, oh my God, we, we should have kept, and some people were arguing for Guy Carboneau. Some people were arguing for Dan Doust. They were both coming out of Nova Scotia at the same time. Both had had highly successful AHL careers. Carboneau stayed in Montreal. The other player went to Toronto. Both players had fairly good careers, but Carbono's career was by far the better. So Montreal made that right choice, but that was not an easy choice to make or an easy trade to make at the time. They're faced with multiple versions of that right now. Another weird topic making its way around, Jersey retirements. It must be just because there's not much to talk about for a lot of people in the summertime. The main season's over with, playoffs, Stanley Cup are over with, draft is gone, free agency's gone. So this must just be like a time filler subject matter for somebody or people. But there are people now that are like, oh, well, how long is it going to be before Carey Price's jersey number is retired? Well, there's a problem with that. This honestly ties into the discussion of star power. Carey Price has won more games than any other goalie in Montreal history. And given that goalie list, that's impressive. From the George Hainsworths, George Vezinas, Bill Durham, Ken Dryden, Patrick Waugh. It's a star-studded list. Yes, he's won more games than those people. Never won a Stanley Cup. Wild won two. Dryden won six. It's a lot of Stanley Cups. So we're kind of back to that, what's your definition of star power? I even heard somebody say that Carey Price has more shutouts than any other goaltender. Do you ever have 22 in one season? Check out Montreal Canadiens goal history. I'm not picking at Carey Price. He is a tremendous player. 
very good at his position and his job. No arguments about that. Regarding his injuries that has cut his career short, I have always maintained and will. I wish him nothing but the best. I wish him a recovery and a healing that allows him to go on and function absolutely normally on a daily basis for his family and for his sake. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm not a ruthless troll. The guy was a good player. But Carey Price is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier with the Wayne Gretzky's, Mario Lemieux's, and Mark Messier's versus the Sidney Crosby, Patrick Kane, and Connor McDavid. Which of those three do you think were the better stars? Because arguably, they're all stars, right? But which three were better? And argumentatively, you gotta go with, at least I would think, Gretzky, Lemieux, and Messier, okay? Connor McDavid, Carey Price is in the group with the Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, and Patrick Kane, except mostly with Connor McDavid, because Sidney Crosby and Patrick Kane won Stanley Cups. Carey Price did not. Got close, but didn't win it. Got closer than Connor McDavid, but Connor McDavid and Carey Price haven't won it. Carey Price won trophies at every other level Canada Cup, World Junior, Memorial Cup, but he played on talented teams. Yes, in the World Cup, he looked extraordinary. He had the NHL's best in front of him. Let's take that to this year's tournament. Just to bring it right to the current moment, Samuel Montembeau was by far the best goaltender in that tournament and had less talent in front of him than Carey Price, Martin Brodeur, Patrick Waugh ever had at one of those tournaments. Everybody talked them up as, oh my God, they're great. Well, they were surrounded by the elite best of the NHL. A lot of the elite best of the NHL didn't want to go to that tournament, not only this year, but the last several years. So is then... By definition, is Montembeau a better goaltender than any of them? Because he did more with less. And some people would say that's an insane statement. But again, are we looking at facts or are we looking at subjective opinion, which never has a place like objective opinion? And back to Carey Price's retirement of his number 31, wouldn't that have number made more sense to have retired for Mark Napier, who wore that and won Stanley Cups with that? Again, just questions to ask. Such fun things to discuss throughout this summer. There will be many more fun discussions, many more interesting topics. Summer always brings out some of the most unique discussions because the game itself is taking a rest. On that note, thank you for tuning into episode 59. I am your host, Stephen Stiles. We'll be back soon with episode 60.